And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 208, aka season 3, episode 28, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC. Holy crap. Yep. After what seems like a month at this point, uh, MC has returned, which means uh, I can give out call call in numbers because he runs that sort of. 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, I missed you, bro. Where you been? <laughs> uh, North California. Some some ranch uh, where they were. I, I was paying people to abuse me. And, uh, <laughs> that sounds about funny. right. It was it was terrible, but yeah, it was it was a uh, it was challenging. Um, I explained it. It was is more challenging than uh, basic training in the Air Force. Interesting. Um, yeah. So emotionally, physically, um, mentally, what do you call it? What's what's what would you call that? Uh, if if you if if you're testing your ability to stay awake for a certain long amount of time, I don't know if they have a word for that, but yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, I, I know my, what you're my, talking about. My, my endurance, they tested that, yeah. <laughs> my will to survive. <laughs> um, now, yeah. having been through a similar experience, and uh, I, I know off the air, I briefed you a little bit to, you know, not what to expect, but how it's going to be different from the other uh, sessions that you have had. Um, would you say it was still, was the value still there? for you as far as you know having yeah paying the I mean, money I, to do it i definitely got a lot out of it okay um i i mean obviously at points i was frustrated so it was like just just tell me just give me the point just tell me what it is and i'll just i'll just believe you you know you don't have to put me through this but you know, <laughs> whatever they do things their way that's fine whatever uh i'll forgive them for that and uh move on <laughs> with my life <laughs> yes and i i told you like my experience at that particular uh ranch was uh different from most because it's a it, it you know it, it purports to be a class about personal responsibility and you know taking charge and leadership in your own life um but those fuckers like spelled my name wrong completely like right they were calling me robert the whole time and no one wanted to take responsibility for that. And they all shifted it on to me saying like, you know, you filled out the form as Robert and you did this as Robert and Robert, Robert, Robert. And I was like, dude, you guys have no idea. Like I've never been called Robert uh, right up until the very end. At the very end, they finally figured their shit out and apologized to, to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I don't. I don't even think I got the correct, you know, they'll say it was perfect. Like you had the perfect experience for you. And this is exactly what you needed at this time in your life. <laughs> and I'm not convinced, no. uh, no, they, I would have had this. Up. Yeah. But it, it took the whole class. So, you know, I'm getting shit. I'm getting shit on not for the exercises or the activities or how I'm, uh, or for my beingness as part of those activities, but rather because I refuse to admit that my name is something other than what it actually is. Right. right. So, so that aspect of it, like, I don't, you know, I probably would not choose that class again and I may not have gone, um, 
in the first place, although I did some of the, the follow-ups to that, you know, even so, because I got the apology and, you know, going back to the local community is a little bit different. Um, but I don't think I would have had the same experience had they gotten past their error, taken responsibility for their error, um, respected me as a human being and as a person when I told them just, you know, how I would like to be addressed. Like it, it kind of, in, in a way, right, it's, it's similar to the whole he, she, z, they, whatever your pronoun is debate that's going on right now. Um, and I've, you know, I've said in the past, like, I will use whatever pronoun you want. Like, I, I don't care that much about it. Right. But what I, what I do want is a little bit of like leeway and forgiveness. Should I get it wrong? Because I am programmed a certain way. Um, and it may slip now and again. Sure. So, um, we go to, uh, well, occasionally, like he's a, he lives in town. He's part of the, the free state project and he, they host like a, a brunch every Friday. Um, and so some, some days I'm off on Fridays and we can make it down there and some days I'm not. So I don't, I don't go very frequently, um, mostly cause I have other obligations and work and whatnot. Um, but he wears a little pin that says they, them, right? I go, that's a nifty reminder. Cause I will not get his pronouns wrong because he, you know, he, she, they, right, are taking action steps uh, to, to remind me of how they should be addressed. And so, like, I kind of appreciate that. But if, you know, if you go, like, you know, uh, address me as she, and I go, he said something or other, um, just going to be wrong. Um, but constant reminders over the course of, you know, the nine days uh, of the class saying, like, nope, not Robert. Stop calling me Robert. It's never been Robert. I don't want to be called Robert. Robert is somebody else. Uh, and then t- them taking like the whole nine days to figure it out, um, I would say was a hindrance uh, to what could have been a more productive experience at the time. Looking yeah. back on it, you know, we we look, we laugh, and I'm friends with some of the people that, you know, screwed that up for nine days uh, because, you know, I, I took their apologies as sincere. Uh, but yeah, still a challenge either way. I'm glad you survived it. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and we'll and we'll talk more about that after the show. Sure, of course. There's, there's some. I, I guess it's it's okay to say that there's there's some things that we we can't talk about, and that's part of the allure to the whole. Uh, we can say the name. We can advertise for them, right? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. So the yeah the Psi seminar. PSI. People synergistically involved or, or whatever personal success institute, but it's just called PSI. It doesn't matter what what it actually stands for. It's a naked um, acronym because they change it to to fit whatever uh, marketing sure. terms work on Google. Yeah, yeah, and and but what it is, it's personal growth. There's hundreds of seminars and stuff out there. Uh, this one is is I'm I'm happy to say is is my first uh, real personal growth seminar, and I, from what I've heard from other people that have been to many seminars, is it's one of the best in the world. Yes. And, and I and I would agree with it. I mean, the staff is really freaking good. I mean, they're really on top of it. They're um, like, if if you wanted to pay a, a psychologist, uh, you know, to to set you straight, um, these guys will do it if you want them to. And if you don't want them to, then you can just sit there, and they're not going to bother you. So it's it's a great uh, safe safe place to uh, explore uh, what you're capable of and and uh, what you want to be, how you want to be. And it's amazing how quickly the, the price tag gets in the way for a lot of people as far as like, 
you know, personal growth, self-development, you know, getting out of whatever your shit is at the time and moving on with your life. Um, because our, our sometimes co-host M, um, has been active within the organization for years, um, in, in a multitude of capacities has done her own mini presentations, um, and workshops and has like coached people, you know, uh, on, in, in, in those aspects of life. And then we meet people here, right. Since we've made the move and, you know, there's a lot of, um, frustration from them as to where they're currently at. And, you know, then the, you know, then, you know, cause I'm frequently on Facebook, right. Then it comes out and like, I'm sick of this shit. Like I'm ready for a change. And I'll go like, Hey, if you're really ready for a change, like send me a private message, right? We, we can talk about this because that is an area where I may not be an expert, but I know who the experts are and I can help you down that path. And then I get the private message. I am so ready for this. I go, all right, so here's how much it's going to cost. And then <laughs> that's the last, that's the last you hear from. <laughs> um, and I remember, uh, you know, what bit when I was getting ready to go to the first class, right. And it was, you know, the, the price tag, um, comes up again. And by that time it didn't matter. Right. So the, the guy who got me in, um, was telling me like, you know, the, it's going to cost this much, but don't worry about the price. You'll get the money back somehow. You'll figure it out. I go, I'm not even worried about it, man. Like you say it's 420 bucks. I can tell you with, uh, uh, absolute certainty that I have pissed away more money than that on dumb shit that did nothing for me ever in my life. Um, that if this even has a remote chance of improving my life for the better, it will be a hundred percent worth it. So let, let's right. stop talking about the price and let's just go ahead and do this. Yeah. You yeah. don't need to sell me. I'm already in. Um, that's, that's what they uh, re refer to as resistance, but, um, you know, re resistance is there for a reason. There are a lot of people that rip people off. Um, uh, all I can say is this one, uh, it's, I, it's worth it. And it's by word of mouth. If you talk to anybody that's gone to it, uh, well, most people, of course, people. The, people, the, the people that don't get anything out of it or or they have a, a negative reaction to it. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, so if, if they're negative about it, they're more vocal on the reviews and stuff. Yes. So don't look on the Internet. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> or look on the Internet and then ask someone about it, because there's right. a there's a refutation for every bad review. And a lot of it comes down to just a disgruntled person. Uh, leaving multiple reviews in a, you know damn near a whole bunch of places yeah. um i almost left after the the, the middle of the second day I interesting almost, i almost stopped i was like this you know this it's i mean it's fun but it's not really for me you know i could be doing something better with my time and then i just stuck it out and then it was like okay yeah, oh this is the first class you're talking about yeah, like, very, not this yeah. most recent one okay i was like man what happened yeah. on day two this time <laughs> no no uh, day one is when i almost gave up through <laughs> <Screw> this <laughs> yep yeah, it was pretty it was pretty bad but um and we've seen that happen before as well yeah but i, I stuck it out so i'm glad you and, and i and i knew i could i mean it's it's one of those things like we'll talk about it later but um yeah it was tough it was challenging it was a little hard to describe like you know they people would ask like oh so where's you know where's your co-host at I'm like he's on a ranch in california like trying to get an eagle like what does that even mean it's, it sounds cryptic it's like that a boy scout thing i'm like nope definitely not the boy scouts but 
I don't know how much more I I'm, yeah. like I want to say. Just, there's a ranch in California, and you can get an eagle. And that's about. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, it sort of is related to that in a way. But um, yeah, we could say. I mean, it's it's a men's leadership program, and yeah, and it's about doing some some man stuff with a whole bunch of men, and and it and it's really helpful, especially for men to uh, be surrounded with in, in a safe atmosphere that where where you can uh, explore how to. You know, you can try to be a leader, you can be a leader, or uh, you can figure out what being a leader is to you yep. and, and, and to the world. So, um, yeah, it's it's really important. I mean, the, the world needs more leaders, for sure. Uh, we need less politicians. <laughs> yep. And with all those men around by day six or so, uh, even the cafeteria lady starts to look good. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I don't know, would you? Like, I don't know. At this point, maybe. You never know. <laughs> I Honestly, I didn't notice. I, I... <laughs> well, congratulations to you on staying focused. Maybe my little clique of friends while we were up there it was, a little, was a little bit more perverse. Yeah. So, well, like I said, uh, glad you made it back. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be back in Hawaii warm <laughs> hey man it was a night it was i'm i'm sitting here uh i don't know why it's so hot in my apartment right now i'm thinking about turning it's like 40 degrees outside and i'm sitting in here with the heat off sweating as we're sitting here so it's it's definitely turning into spring uh in new hampshire yeah yeah well i, oh, I got i got i even got in an argument uh at the ranch about about global warming with lefty it was, it was oh fun. jesus it was fun what did he say? Uh, I can't. I can't tell you right now. Okay. But, yeah. Because now, now they're even now they're going back to like climate change because. Oh yeah, yeah. With all the the, me the cold times. fronts. Well, I'm not talking about warming anymore. It's it's climate change. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get there. The, right. <laughs> the cold the cold fronts won't roll in, and all the all the lefties tout, touting like you know global so, warming is like we do, we have no way to explain this. Like we don't. So, it's an anomaly. So here's the thing. I, I don't care about the cold front coming through, whatever. Um, the, the, one of the biggest things they talk about in climate change is still the rising sea level. So sure. that's like one of the, well, like, oh, well, this is going to affect, and it's always a prediction, right? And, and, uh, and, and so the justification for all this billions of dollars of spending in, in studying the climate is because the potential for the climate to affect people, right? And sure, they've they've been predicting for the last you know twenty years at least, uh, yeah, longer than that, twenty years at least, uh, that that sea level is going to rise and it's going to affect people on the coast. Um, so I'm curious why all the leftists still live at uh, on the coast because they're too scared to move inland and move into like <laughs> red state zones. <laughs> but but you you get my point though, right? I mean, yeah, they, they're predicting uh, catastrophic. Uh, climate change is going to affect you know all these you know hundreds of millions of people on coasts around the world and they're still moving to the coast um yep so it's 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 almost like i could call bullshit on on their whole ideology but their whole ideology isn't isn't about making good decisions it's about uh being negative being pessimistic blaming their life on other people and um and panic. They want people to panic so they can get what they want from either the government or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is they want. 
You yep. know, if you can get if you can get people scared, uh, they'll they'll do things uh, in a certain way. I always I always say like, ooh, your actions betray you, right? Because they <laughs> they preach one thing so uh, vehemently, and then th- their you know their behavior demonstrates something contrary to what they're preaching. And I go, well, if you true, you know, it's like the people like running around shouting YOLO all the time, right? Like if you truly believe that. Um, you know, and if you truly believe the the climate change is there, then yeah, you're right. You wouldn't be moving to the coast. You'd be moving to the mountains or somewhere inland, right? If you truly believe like, you know, to live each day as if it were your last, uh, you wouldn't go to work at all because, because <laughs> you don't get paid for two weeks. And if today's your last day, right, you're not going to expect that paycheck to come in. So we can throw, you know, we can throw that nonsense out the window. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I don't have it as show prep uh, for the show, but maybe we can get into it anyway because I posted this to my personal page um, when it comes to the you know the, the climate change, and it's the truth finally being set free, uh, so to speak. Here's the headline, and I don't know if we need to get into the article. Climate change activists admit being green requires an end of capitalism. So it's not even, they're not even hiding that anymore. It's not like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to uh, change our behaviors to to save Mother Earth and, you know, to to protect the sea life and the wildlife and and all of that. Um, It's an end around to get to this, which is what they all, you know, most of the people on the left hate. Um, And that's, you know, the the capitalistic economy. Um, And now they're just using the, like climate change is just a tool uh, in their toolbox to push people further away uh, from free markets, from you know voluntary trade, uh, and an end to the capitalist system altogether. Um, and the scary thing is, there it's gotten to a point where they can say that out in the open um, and no longer even be jeered or or ridiculed for it, uh, but they're being cheered on and praised. For having you know the progressive mindset uh, and the you know the 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 will to see this through um, and really put an end to you know freedom at least uh, what we have left of it in this part of the world. Freedom. Yeah. Did you want to get into more of that, or is, you know is is just the headline sufficient for for us to discuss? Um. Up to you. I'm going to let you take the lead from here because, yeah, it's been a while for me. (laughs) All right. Well, let me pull it. All right. Here we go. And uh, is this long? Yeah, it's kind of long. I'll try to blast through it. A headline. Climate change activists admit being green requires the end of capitalism. Well, at least, see, it's first fucking line. Well, at least now they're being honest about it. Uh, a headline this week in The Guardian reads, Ending climate change requires the end of capitalism. Have we got the stomach for it? Uh, the article by Phil McDuff goes on to discuss the Green New Deal currently being peddled in the U.S. Congress and declares a radical turn towards socialism is really at the heart of saving the planet from climate change. Yeah, goddammit, it. It's like I read the article ahead can, of time. Can I, can I just stop you right there? Because yeah. even... Even the scientists that that study what the government's uh, potential impact would be, they even they admit that it would have neg- negative consequences. It would actually make it worse. For example, you you tell people, 
uh, or you raise the price of electricity and, and eventually it gets to a point where they're starting to burn down trees and, it's act and burning down trees is actually more harmful for the atmosphere than uh, burning coal is because it's less energy dense and you have to burn more. Yep. So, um, and you, and you lose the trees and the forests and everything else. So, um, this, the whole idea that, that capitalism has to end is actually just something somebody made up. Um, so I don't think we need to read the whole article or go any further than that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. That's why I, mean, I said I, the headline might've been enough. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, you, okay. So read the article on your own, but you get the idea. Right, they 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 know the effects, the the honest ones at least know the effects of what they're trying to do, and yet they push forward anyway because, well, th their greater good is socialism for all, uh, at basically yeah. at all cost, right? Yeah. Whatever it takes, whatever whatever misinformation, deceit, lies they have to tell, or or you know shove down the throats of everybody, um, is well worth it and to end this cruel, harsh capitalist system so i have a, a theory about like the theory about everything but um the uh the idea of equality is like that, just that one word it's it, it, i hate that word so Same much. Here. like who wants who wants to be equal like i know everybody should try to be the best they can possibly be and then the, the, imagine if imagine if everybody tried to do that um wow what a world we'd, we'd be living in um it'd be great um so the, the word equality uh, is something that people are stuck on and they, they, they want to force it on everybody else, you know, for, for whatever reason, uh, you know, how they're raised or whatever. Um, and I, I even think it's, people have known about it for a long time that, that people, that, that it's, that's really enticing for people, that it's a very appealing uh, word, right? Yep. And, Everything has to be fair. Share until it's fair. And fairness uh, is a little bit more okay for me, but the but the equality thing is is totally not. Um, and I think even in the Declaration of Independence, when they said uh, all men are created equal, I think the reason they put that in there was to acknowledge the word equal or equality. Okay. And put it in a way that diminishes it to the point of, okay, yeah, you were born uh, completely incapable of taking care of yourself and, and you're human just like everybody else. You had to, you know, be taken care of uh, or you would die. And so with, with that respect, um, yeah, we were all created equal. Um, if, if any baby should have certain rights, well, then all the other babies should have rights because they're all equally worthless. Uh, well, and having people... survived that trauma, do we not owe it to our our fellow man then to to keep them alive and and surviving as well? Since we we are of the able bodies, and they may not be, right? Isn't that what you know? Someone kept us alive long long enough for us to get to this point in our life. Don't we owe that to others as well to keep them alive? I think you're missing my point. But anyway, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But that's uh. But but my 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 point is is to say that they had to put the that word in there, right? 
and 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 make it and frame it in a way that uh people that re, re, are reading it can get around that well well you know shouldn't shouldn't everybody have equally have everything like no we were we were born equal and we should have if we should have anything we should have equal rights and whatever and, that means yeah and, that, and that's one of those things like and it says, you know, you're given your rights from your creator, whoever that is. Right. And so it's, <laughs> it's what I'm saying is all that was put in there was was a tool. It was a tool. It was it was a way to explain it to people with without everybody revolt, automatically revolting against the idea of liberty. Right. OK. Now, it, me and you, we can understand that. OK. Uh, you know, this this is my life. Um your life is your life, and we should be free to live it however we freaking want. Um, we can understand that, but there's a lot of people that you know that that whole authority thing. They need that. That's, and I'm I'm not saying they're wrong for it. That, but it's it that's their needs, and and so if their if their needs is a, a a creator that gives it to them, or or the idea of rights, or uh, uh, the idea that uh, you know they're they're born equal, or you know whatever it is. It, I, I think they put that in there just to get past it, to get to the point of like, and this is how it's going to work, you know, like, because, uh, you know, we don't want dictators. We don't want Kings. We don't want, uh, sure. all that other stuff. So anyway, that's, that's my theory. I don't know how much they actually believe what they wrote or not, but, uh, to me, ha putting that word e equal in there was, was basically required because there'd be so many people that would just automatically just, discard it because oh well you didn't you didn't put in there anything about equality yeah um and i have a little bit of proof about that just from the the size seminar but um sure i'm going to talk about you maybe we'll talk about it next week i don't okay. know how much i can say on the matter so uh okay fair enough um i the the other thing that's been pressing on my mind similar to what you're saying then um is you know this show doesn't come from like the constitutional perspective or the declaration of independence perspective. Cause right. you know, damn all that. Um, right. but one thing that that's, uh, been bothering me lately when it comes to like the founding documents, um, mm -hmm. is that there's always, there's always people from each side, uh, throwing into the, throwing into the, into the ring, like their interpretation of what the founders thought sure. they might've been talking about. And I think, you know, we're, we're how many, you know, centuries out, um, I think it's okay to go ahead and, and scrap the entire document. If for mm -hmm. no other reason, then nobody understands it anymore. Right. Right. There, there's so much conflicting positions on yeah. what it means, how it was worded. Well, what did it mean at the time? What were well, the events surrounding that, it? Even language has changed since then. So right. it's, it's kind of pointless to to argue about it and you'd have to read all the, everything they've ever written and really get in touch with with who they were and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to do and kind of pointless too because well it's it's given us what we have right now and what we have right now is is immoral and unjust and and uh, fraudulent and all that one one of the there was a video of this this lady gave us about uh, intellectual property rights and and she Whatever said that well, is. well we we have to have this because the founding fathers even put it in the constitution it's article one section eight uh intellectual property rights is, is there to pr protect the little guy um 
but in reality right now it actually squashes the little guy so yeah they they, they put it in there intending to help the little guy and it has become a tool of big government and big corporations and and people who want to defraud the little guy so uh it doesn't matter what their intention was it failed and and it should be recognized as a failure and and we can take it out of the constitution and we can rewrite the constitution and and we could you know put on their uh you know real property rights which is you know what you can uh uh you know say say you own and, and defend uh in front of a bunch of people and say this is mine sure <laughs> and everybody else believes you and that's 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 actually ownership and if and if they don't believe you well then you got to fight because that's you right. know that's right. the un, the unfortunate end to all uh right claims is you know either convince people to leave you alone with them or defend it um, right I and, step- and that's and that's why everybody, sh- you know, in, in that type of society, it, it should be um, everybody has guns to defend themselves in, in worst case scenario. Or, or you should as- at least assume uh, that that person is is willing to defend with a gun. Um, and that way, the, the, there's there'll be less likelihood of of a conflict because there'd be more uh, respect. <laughs> because that's my general hum- feeling towards things. Humans are quite dangerous. <laughs> The, we we are quite dangerous, but there's also like the prerogative to survive and to live, you know, is I think is what creates the peaceful environment that we live in um, more so than anything else, right? Because I I don't think and I think the vast majority of human beings on the planet um, don't want to uh, get into like a fight to the death over yeah. every little squabble. I, I would right? have that, to say though, I think what actually creates peace the most is a functioning market okay and and trust and that's that's really what what comes down to um and and the the more free honest trade you have the less likelihood of a conflict ever even uh, occurring is yes but should one arise right even you i sure there even in a free market right even if everything goes like as well as can be uh, you know, there there will be disputes over things that may be out of the control of either party, mm-hmm. right? And then, and you know, and each party will want the other party to take responsibility, which is why you have arbitrators and and justice systems, uh, even outside of the state control. Um, but what it shouldn't turn into is you know every little dispute turns into a gunfight because right. you know wh- whoever shoots first wins, type yeah. of a thing. Um, well, that's, well, that's the thing. Like mo- most. When, when the economy is really good, then even when a, a when a, when a dispute happens, it's usually so minor that it's not even worth fighting over. Yeah. Um, so like if the economy was, let's say the economy was really bad, and I go to a store and I you know uh, I give ninety percent of my the wealth that I have left for for one cheeseburger, and uh, and and it doesn't have any any burger and it. it's just a, it's just a bun, and then you go <laughs> you know, or a little that, sliver it, of burger. Yeah, it, it's for like the picture. okay. This is this might be worth fighting for at this point, be, just because uh, this is all I have. And but when the economy is really good, then you can uh, withstand a lot more. Uh, sure, small issues, but sure. Um, uh, the most recent example for me, you know, a friend, uh, Facebook friend. I haven't met him in person yet, uh, but like uh, wrecked his car, had to buy a new car, and. F- thinks claims to have been defrauded uh by the car seller right like he bought he bought the car um there were certain claims made about the vehicle 
Um, and then he says like, uh, you know, the, the day after we drove it off the lot, you know, the check engine light came on and we were pissed. <laughs> and then we, and then we found out, you know, all these other things that the, the car seller, um, you know, did not disclose. And, you know, my, my, it was half-heartedly jokingly, but also, you know, my comment was like, should have got the Carfax, right? Like there's third-party organizations that, you know, um, are popular enough to track those sort of things where if you're unsure about the information you're getting, you should use something to verify it or buyer beware, right? You know, it, the, if the if the light is off when you look at the car, when you test drive the car, when you inspect the car, and then it comes on the next day, um, whose fault is that, right? Like how can how can you how can you put that into the same category as like you know the the seller was you know defrauding you? Maybe everything was fine the day that he showed you the car, and just you know through through sheer luck um, or or universal intervention. Uh, it came on at the time that it did. Like how 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 do you prove otherwise? Um, and I also you know un- unless there's actual evidence of of wrongdoing, I don't know how you can go out and smear the car seller uh, after the fact either, claiming that they you know they they did something uh, fraudulent. Um, we just took uh, we bought our car um, back in October, I think is when we bought it. Yeah, October. We bought uh, a second car for us since there, you know, there's two of us and we needed the second car. Um, and then we just took it in for the recent servicing and they're like, wow, there's a lot broken. I'm like, all right, well, you know, what's under warranty and what's not under warranty. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Right. Cause you know, we bought the car that we, I, I looked at the Carfax. Um, everything seemed to be in pretty good condition, uh, from what I was able to inspect. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, to, and a lot of it's covered under warranty. Like there's, you know, one big thing that's not, um, covered under warranty, but it, it, you know, at least, you know, say what you want about like the, the state inspection system. Um, but it passed inspection. Like it was good. The, when they sold us the vehicle, it was like, it was good enough for the state, you know, I was like, all right, well, you know, whatever's covered under warranty fix, whatever's not covered under warranty, we have to talk about if it's, if it needs to be immediately addressed, then address it. Um, thank God for credit, right? If it's not, uh, immediately need to be immediately addressed, well then let's just bide our time until we can start saving towards that, you know, that payment. Um, but never, you know, never did it cross my mind that, you know, we were defrauded, uh, by the car company. Cause you know, it's also been like six months, right? Like there's a, there's a, you know, we put a lot of miles on that car, um, in the last six months, just, you know, getting around town and doing stuff. So, I mean, a little different than just driving off the lot and the light comes on, but like, you know, the, the question remains like, where do you draw the line? Right. At, at what point did you take full possession and responsibility for the vehicle you're now currently driving? Um, as opposed to, you know, Hey, you sold us, you know, this junker and now it's your fault that everything's broken on it. And you know, something to, you know, to that effect, your thoughts, MC, I rambled a little bit. Yeah. So I guess the question is, so, so what do you, so what do you do about it? If you, if you feel defrauded or do we go on to an article? Well, if you feel defrauded, you know, it depends on the society you live in, right? Cause if we're going to go with, you know, free markets and voluntary interaction, and all that, well then you'd have to find someone to arbitrate the dispute, um, and have it, you know, and, and live up to the, the decision of the arbitrator or, you know, then it comes down to violence. You go back and you shoot the guy who sold you the bad car and you just drive off having, having gotten your revenge. Um, 
before we move on to an article, I want to I want to touch on one thing that I found uh, interesting when it comes to the idea of intellectual property. So we were at dinner um, the other night amongst our group, and we were talking about the you know the idea of IP, and you know of course I my my general line of you know thinking on that issue was well real anarchists don't believe in IP, right? And you know and he was talking about copyright. Right. Like you're not allowed to to um, like uh, as a as an author of a book. Right. It's like I have licensed. I've given certain uh, publishers the right to publish my book. Um, and I've not given anybody else the right to to copy my book and, and to publish it out. I go, well, what about like my pen and paper? Right. Like what if what if I copied your book using my pen and my paper? Am I not allowed to? you know, to, to sell that since it is my pen and my paper. Um, and the response to that was interesting to me because I don't think I've ever uh, heard it before. And I just want to throw this out there. Um, and he called it, uh, rather than copyright, uh, I think he said it was like a creator endorsement. Are you familiar with that term? No. Okay. So, uh, the creator endorsement is rather than uh, a copyright on, uh, the material works, the uh, the publishing the, the publishing outlets that the creator has allowed to print the books and sell will come with the creator's endorsement, like basically saying like I've authorized you know this publishing house to copy my works and to uh, distribute it, and so the uh, publishing houses that don't have uh, their creator's endorsement are still allowed to sell the works uh, because. How could you stop them? Uh, but they wouldn't. Their their published materials wouldn't carry the creator's endorsement. Like they can't. They can't make the claim that you know this particular author has allowed them to print the books. So mm-hmm. th- th- you know their books go out go out without the mark. Um, and then I you know so my immediate question follow up was, okay, so what about the publishing houses that print the mark, uh, cr- claiming to have the creator's endorsement, uh, even though they don't. And his response was, well, that's fraud. I go, that's right, that is. Because they're claiming, they are now claiming something that is not true. Um, and they, you know, they're defrauding their customers by by telling them that they, that they've, you know, they've acquired this endorsement when in fact they had not. Um, and then so any sort of dispute resolution would fall under uh, fraud claims um, as opposed to, you know, uh, some sort of government mandated copyright fiction that exists. Um, and then, you know, I think we can all agree that fraud claims falls within the, you know, the realm of, of free market crimes, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, real crimes that would, that exist outside of, you know, like forced fraud coercion, that sort of thing that exists outside of the, the government mandated law books of, of what is considered criminal. And then therefore, you know, you can, you can go after them that way, or at least, uh, make it known that those publishing houses do not in fact have you know, the claim and are attempting to defraud their customers, um, and, you know, do some, uh, reputation damage that way. And then that would be the, the incentive to not carry those claims or to defraud their customers, uh, because of the, the damage to the reputation that may incur and put those companies out of business. Uh, your thoughts on, on that idea? Cause I thought it was a good idea. I was, I was, you know, I was thrilled to, to learn that information as a possible way to get your mark out there. Yeah, and it's and to take it one step further, that 
uh, I think it would work in in society in a in a in a very well functioning economic system where you have bookstores and and why would a bookstore sell a book that's not endorsed by the author um so yeah because yeah, you could probably sell it cheaper to the lower income families who may not be able sure. to afford that I mean, you, you could um like college but, textbooks but at the same time if you're uh, you know, a high-end reputable bookstore uh, with, you know, a, a large chains across the nation. Um, sure. And you wanted, uh, you know, the best, best content, best quality, and all that stuff, you, you would probably want to help the authors as much as you can too. And so sure. you'd, you would sell, you, you wouldn't create your own book, or if you did, you'd get permission from the author to do it. So, so that everybody benefits. So it's like yeah. the one Publish- plus one equals three type of thing. Publishers, pu- uh, publishers publishing books without the creator endorsement would have difficulty getting those books into um, reputable retail establishments because those reputable retail establishments wouldn't want to sell books without the creator endorsement. And none of what we're describing has anything to do with state mandates or government interference. It's just, um, you know, the a free market solution to what people bring up as a, as a, uh, a, an area of intellectual property, um, that currently only the government solves, right? Like what, what, yeah. what creators would do stuff knowing that they could just be ripped off the very next day, you know? Now I will say this, uh, going back, going back to my, uh, my video game, I'm, I'm going to say addiction currently. Um, there's a, a chip for the Dreamcast that I purchased, um, you know, basically to pay bootleg games off original hardware. Cause that's kind of like the thing I'm currently getting into. Um, and you know, the, the, the chip was like designed, manufactured by some like Polish guy. And it's very, it's, it's prohibitively expensive and in very short supply to get this particular chip from the Polish guy. Right. Like he's, you know, he's not responsive they doesn't produce very much of them um but somewhere somewhere in china they clone the shit out of that chip <laughs> <laughs> so so you can buy that chip uh for like 20 percent um you know 20 cents on the dollar 20 percent of what the the actual price is if you wanted to buy like the the original hardware Right, like if you if you get the OG chip, you know, for you know from the from manufactured by this dude out in Poland, um, because of the limited supply of it, um, you pay for the authenticity, and the authenticity is you know somewhere in the neighborhood of like five hundred, six hundred bucks. I go, I'm not paying that much. You know, seventy five bucks from a Chinese dude is perfectly fine with me, um, and if effectively the same, right? So. Whereas you know, whereas there is a price to pay uh, for authenticity. Uh, when it comes to that sort of thing, there's also uh, there's also something to be said for things that are affordable and produced in mass quantities that more people can get their hands on. Um, the other thing I was I was uh, I was on Twitter recently, and there was a dude who released uh, the source code from like a decades old uh, NES emulator, like the NES system. Um, and this is this is a an emulator that hasn't been updated. Um, hasn't really been, uh, you know, improved upon in like close to a decade. And he happened upon the source code somehow. I, I don't remember the, the, the whole part of the tweet, uh, but then he released it. And apparently 
he got a whole bunch of flack for releasing the source code um, for for not for not uh, respecting the original creator's wishes, right? And he and his response is like the first thing I've ever retweeted. Um, his response was basically, "This whole community wouldn't exist uh, if we respected you know the original creator's wishes, right? Because there's copyright claims and licensing claims on like every piece." of old, of old software that came out for these, you know, ancient video game systems. Um, and if we respected those creators wishes, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be ROM dumps and there wouldn't be the ubiquitous, ubiquitousness, uh, of, of those, of that software made available around the internet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as the community goes, we love having that stuff and we love the work on the emulators and all that other fun stuff. Um, but that wouldn't exist. Um, so he was surprised and I was also surprised at the flack that he got for <laughs> basically doing what everyone else is doing. Um, but it's like, you know, uh, pirating from the pirates, like, you know, Oh, you want to be a pirate, but you can't steal from the other pirates. It's like, you know, uh, uh, was it like the, uh, honor among thieves kind of a thing? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 it's okay to pirate. You just can't do it for other pirates cause they, they work too hard to, to get their pirates. Like <laughs> okay. So I thought that was interesting as far as, yeah, you know, that's IP funny. And, yeah, fucking ridiculous. All right. Um, headlines? Sure. And we'll get to one or two. Headline, the mall or the agora revitalizing the anarchist book fair. I want to start there unless you, unless something else comes up because this is uh, from the Center for a Stateless Society, which tends to be a more uh, leftist uh, anarchist thing. And so I read, I, I skimmed through this article and then um, I'm interested to hear your take on some of it. Uh, headline, 10 reasons to be cheerful about global capitalism. Uh, headline, why employment discrimination laws are bad. Uh, headline, New Jersey governor signs a rain tax bill. Uh, residents' property rates rise based on the weather. Uh, headline, government, high subsidies, low satisfaction. Uh, headline, the trouble with socialist anarchism. Ooh, maybe we'll move that one to the front too. Screw those guys. Uh, headline, cash for clunkers, yet another way government increased the cost of living. And finally, headline, government to pizzeria. You can paint a mural, just not one that features pizza. Uh, anything <laughs> anything okay. else jump out you where, uh, MC? Well, the, the pizza one may be second, but what was the one you said, move that one to the front about anarchist socialists? Oh, or the something? trouble with socialist anarchism. Okay. You want to start? It's, it's, it sounds important. Okay, let's let's start there then. The trouble with socialist anarchism. The movie V for Vendetta has provoked public discussion of the meaning of anarchism. Murray Rothbard was an advocate of the stateless society, but he never accept but he was never accepted by the anarchist movement and is still considered more of a capitalist lackey uh, than anarchist thinker. Indeed, anarcho-capitalism has always been considered an oxymoron oxymoron by the self-proclaimed true anarchist. Part of the reason is a general inability to understand different uses and definitions of words in the classical socialist and liberal traditions. Socialists refer to capitalism as the system in which the state hands out and protects capitalist privileges and therefore oppression of labor workers. They don't see capitalism uh, in the classical liberal tradition, means rather a free market based on free people, i.e. voluntary exchange of value between free individuals. A deeper and more interesting reason in anarchism's socialist roots, as shown in, the, for example, the anarchist FAQ, uh, link in the article, 
Most, if not all, historical anarchist thinkers were proud to announce their ideas belonged to the progressive socialist tradition. The founding father of anarchism, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, was socialist. American 19th century individual anarchists often claimed to be socialists, and Russian communist anarchist Mikhail Bakunin and Peter Kropotkin were obviously socialists. There were, however, a few anarchists who were not explicitly socialists, but they were few and relatively unknown, if at all accepted as anarchists. Uh, the German egoist Max Stirner somehow managed to become generally accepted as an anarchist, even though he never claimed to be a socialist. Uh, he also never claimed to be an anarchist either. It would be futile to claim the anarchist tradition is not originally and mostly socialist, and that is not the point of this essay. I do not refute socialism's importance to anarchism in theory nor in practice, but I will show how the definition of socialism is too rigid and statist, as opposed to what anarchists generally claim, and it seems to be based on the unfortunate misunderstanding of man and the market. The main problem is the socialist anarchist refusal to think anew when, fa when new facts have been revealed. Uh, Peter Kropotkin, the, late, uh, the famous late 19th and early 20th century Russian communist anarchist, stated that there are essentially two kinds of socialism, statist socialism and anarchism. The difference between the two is that statist socialism wishes to take control of the state and use it to enforce socialism, whereas socialist anarchism wishes to abolish the state and thereby the oppressive capitalist economic system. Kropotkin's distinction solves quite a few inherent contradictions and problems in status socialism, such as enforcing equality through letting a few rule the many via the state. But some of the problems persist in the anarchist version of socialism. This problems arise due to the fact that socialists generally tend to have a static view of society, which makes them totally ignorant of how things change over time. Socialists would pr probably not admit this is the case since they do not know that things have been changing through the course of history. Uh, Karl Marx said so, and that things never seem to stay the same. But still they argue, argue as if uh, ceteris paribus is the divine principle of reality, and it is not. Socialism does not allow for a time component, or it is deemed unimportant and therefore omitted in the analysis of the world or the economy. Things are generally thought to be as they are, even though they were not the same in history and they need to be changed in the future. In a socialist world, people are equal and should stay equal. The individual choices of actors in the free marketplace, yes, socialist anarchists do talk about the market, do not change this fact. In the socialist view of the world, there is simply no understanding whatsoever for, the, for that characteristic of the market that Ludwig von Mises called time preference. Uh, the important piece of information about the, how the market works, that is how people function, means a person usually prefers having a value now to having the same value sometime in the future. This has nothing to do with earning interest or investment, but is rather a natural part of what it means to be a rational being. One would do better with a certain amount of food now than with the same amount of food a week from now. Without knowledge about this, or without even time preference per se, calculating what will be on the market would be a whole lot easier, but totally wrong. But time preference is not a part of the socialist perception of the world of economics. Understanding this fact makes it a lot easier to understand the socialist demand for a teleological equality, i.e. equality as a measure of justice applicable both before and especially after interactions and exchanges have taken place in the marketplace. If the world and economy would be perpetually static and thus no value ever created, then economic equality is theoretically possible. It is perhaps even fair. 
But this is not the case, and thus the social analysis is wrong. This weakness, which we can call time ignorance, persists and the anarchist in the anarchist version of socialism. Socialist time ignorance. Uh, Kropotkin defines the kind of socialism as an effort to abolish the exploitation of labor by capital. And Benjamin Tucker says, the bottom claim of socialism is that labor should be put in possession of its own. Well, that doesn't sound that bad. Another way of saying the same thing would be that every individual has a natural right to that which he produces, and that is a violation of his natural right to forcefully remove this product of his labor from his hands. Whether you call natural rights or not, this is in essence and common theoretical basis for how value is generated in both classical liberal, liberalism and Marxism. Whenever an individual invests his time, skill, and efforts into trying to achieve a value, he creates value and is as its creator the rightful owner of that value. It is hard to argue that individual is not the rightful owner of his labor. Uh, John Locke even went so far as to call labor the unquestionable property of the laborer. If the individual doing the work does not own his labor, then who does? Uh, the difference between classical socialism and liberalism is not in the definition of ownership or how it arises, but in its meaning. Uh, Pierre Joseph Proudhon even thought he, even though he is famous for stating property is theft, uh, meaning property privilege causing exploitative conditions, and also stated that property is freedom in the sense that man is only free when he is the sole owner of that which is in his possession and that which he creates, what he was referring to was wage labor being exploitation of the labor worker by the privileged capitalist. To understand this view, we need to remember time preference is not applicable or not allowed. From the socialist perspective, any difference in value between input and output is either fraud or theft, to use libertarian terminology. If you invest labor input to achieve the value of $100 and receive pay output of $95, you are being oppressed. This is part of why capitalism using socialist definition is oppressive. Whoever offers a job, i.e. the capitalist, makes a profit simply because the value of the workers' invested labor is greater than what they receive in pay. The reason they can do this, socialists claim, is because the state enforced property privilege indirectly forcing labor workers into wage slavery. Another way of saying this is that surplus value is released for the managers and owners of industry through paying labor workers only a part of their labor input. In the static view of how the world works under the capitalist economic system, employment sure is usury and wage slavery. I can't argue with that, and I will not argue with any identification of many historical and contemporary employment screams being de facto usury due to privilege handed out by capitalists by the political class. The analysis, however, is fundamentally wrong, and is so simply because socialists do not understand time preference. It is, a, it is a value, but not necessarily monetary value, to many a workers frequently to receive a fixed amount of pay for invested labor instead of taking the risk of producing, marketing, and selling a product in the marketplace, even if the enterprise is not carried out individually but in cooperation with other workers. It is also true in reverse. The capitalist values money now more than money later, thus profits at a later time need to be greater than the labor cost now to break even. The point here is that if a worker would voluntarily choose between multiple different alternatives, there is no reason to believe employment is sometimes, or in perhaps often, an attractive choice. The reason this is so is because of division of labor, the risk in the marketplace, and so on. But it is primarily the, because of time preference, meaning a worker might value a fixed wage now at a predetermined intervals more than investing his labor now and gain the full value later. The laborer could therefore be in equilibrium while investing labor generating $100 worth of pro products a month from now, even if he is paid only $95 now. 
To some people, less money now than more money later is indeed usury. But that is only a fact that strengthens the theory of time preference as put forth by Austrian economists. Perhaps, oh, excuse me, people have different perceptions of value and do value different things at different times. And therefore, one individual may very well find employment to his benefit, while another individual cannot for the world accept such terms. And the, and the same individual might think very differently at a different point in time. Values are subjective. Uh, this necessarily brings us to another important point that is closely related to the nature of time preference, and that is the identification of value as subjective. Uh, monetary values are objective in the sense that $1 is always $1, uh, but receiving the amount of a dollar could mean a lot to one individual at the same time mean close to nothing to another. Of course, socialist anarchists, even status socialists, understand the relativity of value. That well, $1 to a poor person means a lot more to the, uh, them, more than it ever would to a wealthy person, even though it is still only a dollar. That's why socialists often claim rich people have nothing to fear from taxes. Even large sums don't mean much to them, whereas poor people can gain a lot. But relative value in the sense means only that individual assessment of the value of a dollar is relative to how many dollars he or she already has or can easily get. Uh, this is different from the identification of values as subjective. A subjective value does not necessarily mean a certain amount of money is compared to another amount. Values are subjective in the sense that something of value means you consider yourself being better off with that than without. Uh, this has nothing to do with the amount of monetary units or comparing apples with apples. Subjective value is the individual assessment of something as compared with the same individual's assessment of the alternative. Values are subjective in the sense that the individual alone makes the assessment and makes it according to his or her individual preferential hierarchy. Thus, subjective value does not depend on what is being valued, but rather how it is perceived. Therefore, a laborer's analysis of whether employment is beneficial does not only involve monetary value of invested labor and received payment, but also everything else he values. Employment could be of greater value to a risk-aversive risk individual, since the risk of losing money is very low, whereas the same deal for someone else who perhaps gets a kick out of taking risks is nothing but outright slavery people are different. This brings us to a third and last important point that follows directly from the facts that values are subjective. There are only individuals, even though cultural and, so and social identities tend to make people think in the same direction, they are still not the same and they do not think differently. Socialists is generally obviously fail to realize this. As it has been shown in the example of employment versus no employment, individuals value things differently. Some individuals would accept wage labor and be fully satisfied with it, and even find it at the best available alternative, while others cannot find employment to their benefit at all. Individuals are uniquely different, and that means they do have different preferences. This is one of the main reasons state policies are always oppressive and can never work satisfactorily. They provide one system or solution for one kind of people, and that has caused problems when applied to a population such as the 300 million unique individuals living in the United States. Anarchism, a world of sovereigns. The fact that there are only individuals is also a great argument for anarchism. There cannot be a single system forced on any two individuals without it fitting one individual better than the other. And thus, such a system would create legal inequalities and therefore be oppressive. Also, since there are only individuals, there is no reason to believe that some individuals should have the power to rule other individuals. If there are only individuals, all of them should be sovereign self-owners and enjoy an equal full rights to themselves. 
But this fact means also that people are different and some people value certain things while other people value completely different things. Some people will have a high time preference for certain values while others will have a low time preference. Some people will be able to use their time and skills to create a lot of value to others, assessed subjectively, while others create value only recognized by a few. An individual choices will always be individual choices. The decisions made depending on an individual's subjective assessment of value he chooses to identify. Socialism, as commonly defined by socialists of both anarchist and status varieties, fails to realize this fact and therefore categorically dismisses market solutions, functions, and institutions that arise voluntarily and spontaneously. It might be true that socialists themselves would never accept wage labor, but many others would perhaps happily accept employment at being beneficial to them individually or collectively. The same is true with the famous Marxian credo, uh, usually advocated also by socialist anarchists, that the laborer is free only when he has taken ownership of the means of production. But how can we say with a certain kind of profession or class share the exact same values? That necessarily presupposes an extreme class consciousness where individuals no longer exist. If class consciousness is instead interpreted rather as a sense of class belonging and unity in certain values, time preferences and subjectivity of value would still apply. A free market anarchist can embrace many of the socialist anarchist goals, such as equality and the right to self, one's labor, and any fruits thereof. We can support the socialist anarchist goals to abolish the state as an inherently evil institution forcing individuals to relinquish that which was by their natural right. But we also see the shortcomings of socialism as currently defined. Time preference is a fundamental piece of information on how people and therefore markets and society function. Because time preference is not possible to dismiss totally the notion that inequalities might arise in the free marketplace, individuals will act in accordance with their perception of what is most beneficial to them and the people, gods, or artifacts important to them. Some value monetary wealth while others value health, leisure, family, a nice house, or fast cars. People will choose differently depending on the situation and their, and their preferences. And even if they start off in a state of egalitarianism, some choices will be better with respect to something, uh, example, the amount of monetary assets, and some poorer. It is not unlikely some people will choose to accumulate wealth to whatever degree possible without the existence of state privilege, while others will eagerly spend why they, what they have earned on entertainment or engage in conspicuous consumption. The choices should be the individual's, and there is no way we can say it is right or wrong. It is for the individual to decide. Thus, if we truly, in the, if we truly believe in the individual sense of self-owner and sovereign, we shouldn't claim to know what he or she will or should choose, and we cannot say what he or she will not choose. In a society of only free individuals, all of them will be equal in their right to self, and thus we cannot tell people they cannot trade their labor in the future for value now. They will do what they perceive to be in their interest, and I will do what I perceive to be in mine. And what is in our interest personally or mutually is for us to decide individually. This is the reason one cannot say employment and capital accumulation vanishes when the state is abolished. Indeed, the opposite is true. This is also the reason Murray Rothbard truly was an anarchist, even though he did not accept the illusion of a world without time preference. Uh, your thoughts, MC, on the uh, socialist anarchist time preference problem. Oh wow, that was uh, it was very well written, and uh, uh, I think it's very valid. Um, I I think I could sum it up um, to to a socialist or a communist um, in in two words, no, three words. 
Um, and and this these leave three me words, alone. Oh no, these these three words that I'm going to say, if if they if they reject them, that that's what allows them to stay socialist, communist, whatever. Um, and that is fixed pie, th- uh, fixed pie fallacy. Oh yeah, that too. So it's it's the same thing. Um, just this this was more uh, uh, researched and explained. Um, but but yeah, the same same concept. Um, there's you know o- over time the the pie is getting bigger. It doesn't have to say the same size. And so yeah, so there should be no expectation of everybody having the same amount because you know the whole thing's growing and growing in different directions all the time and and people's yep. preferences are changing constantly as um, if they're poor because Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have billions right right um yeah and and it's up to each individual to find out you know where where they are and uh, uh and and where they want to be um so yeah, it was a good article, but I think we're running out of time. Sure. Any final thoughts then? No, nope, that's it. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us. Uh, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience. And we're still on Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. <laughs>